another episode of the AABIP podcast. And this is your host, Udit Chada from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. And today it is my absolute honor to welcome not only a legend, but a pioneer in the field of interventional pulmonology, Dr. Atul Mehta from the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Mehta, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Udit, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So as with any podcast, the views expressed on this podcast are those of Dr. Mehta and mine and not necessarily those endorsed by the AABIP. With that caveat, uh, let's get started today with the topic of bronchosophy. Dr. Mehta, is this a term that you coined and what do you exactly mean by bronchosophy? Yes, um, Udit, um, this term came to my mind um, and uh, this was just to express the philosophy of bronchoscopy. And that's how I came up with the term bronchoscopy. And the whole reason behind this and the idea behind it was that, as I see it, the teaching methods, you know, in any subject, not only interventional pulmonology, but any topics in medicine is changing these days. And, um, you know, under the circumstances, I would say that political correctness is more acceptable than the blunt or sometimes even a humble truth. And in my opinion, many a times when you try to be politically correct, the message is often lost. So in that respect, um, I took this philosophical approach to express my views in the field of bronchoscopy. And so I coined the term bronchoscopy. And, um, you know, as you know, um, I have been doing bronchoscopies for over 43 years now. And um, I have made many, many mistakes in my career. And but I want my fellows and and the younger physicians to learn from my mistakes. And I thought what would be the best way to be politically correct at the same time, you know, approach the wider audience, larger audience. And I thought that if I come up with this term, express my philosophy on the subject and get on the Twitter account, I think I would be able to accomplish that more than just expressing my views to 25 of my pulmonary fellows. So this is a long answer to your short question that yes, I coined that term to continue education for my pulmonary fellows. On that same note, uh, one of your common teachings is if it isn't published, it did not happen. Yes. So can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm glad that you asked me this particular thing. My, I think my most, uh, the quote I like the most um, is if ain't published, it never happened. Um Instead of telling my fellow that you need to publish this, which he or she may not take it correctly, I say, hey, listen, uh, you know, you have done a great job, but if ain't published, it never happened. This is strictly to encourage my colleagues to publish. And I think it is true that, you know, you cannot stand up in a meeting 
and claim that you have done 500 of these procedures if you have not published any of this thing. It does not hold water. So this is one of my teachings that if you're really doing something good and if you really want to make an impact, you have to publish it. Very recently, I came up with another thing that if it happened but it ain't published, then it is a complication. You know, people tend not to publish their complications. But once again, I think publishing the complication, there is a lot to learn from that than, you know, publishing all the good things you have done. And you were there at recent uh, pro-con debate. And as I was reviewing the literature, I hardly find any articles specifically attending to attending the complications of rigid bronchoscopy. And all of us know that complications do exist uh, and they do occur, but they are seldom published. So I'm going to modify my quote that if ain't published, it never happened to if it happened, but it wasn't published. So it might have been a complication as well. But talking on the same lines about weapons and things in a hand that can cause complications, you've also said that a medical instrument in the wrong hands is no less than a lethal weapon. So with regards to this, let me ask you about a couple of controversial procedures that we perform. And I want to sort of seek out your opinion on where you think we stand with these procedures today. So the first one is cryobiopsy for ILD. Yes. Um, I have, again, as you know, um, maybe somebody may say I've got strong views. I would say I have conservative views about this. Um, you know, there is no argument that cryobiopsy can provide larger piece of tissue. That's not the question. The question is, do you need a larger piece of tissue? It is the pathologist who makes the diagnosis. And many a times you know that even after an open lung biopsy, a pathologist cannot make the diagnosis because he's just not confident or not trained properly or does not have enough experience. And that's the reason we send our specimens to bigger institutions and get the correct answer. So in that respect, you know, I would say that do we need a cryobiopsy? That is one argument I have. You need a pathologist to make the diagnosis of IPF, not always the size of the tissue. That is, that is extremely, extremely important. That is the point I would like to make. The second thing is, you know, if you ask interventional pulmonologists that this patient needs cryobiopsy or not, what is the interventional pulmonologist is going to say? Yes, this patient needs a um, cryobiopsy or larger piece of tissue. But how useful that information is, that is what needs to be proven rather than just randomly doing cryobiopsy. And another big issue, Udit, about this it, it hurts me uh, that even interventional pulmonologists are afraid to do transbronchial biopsy. The basics are being lost and everybody is jumping on to doing cryobiopsies. Many a times I ask this question in the conference, what is the size of the forceps you need for transbronchial biopsy? 
what type of forceps you need, cup forceps versus alligator forceps, fenestrated forceps versus non-fenestrated forceps. And pulmonologists and even some IP physicians do not have this answer. That's where my problem is. If you don't know how to do the transbronchial biopsy, how can you embark upon cryobiopsy and say that it is providing larger piece of tissue when you have never tried transbronchial biopsy in a right fashion? We jump onto this bandwagon of glamour, forgetting the basics. I hope I'm answering your question. Yes, I've also seen you say that it's sad that we have guidelines on how to do transbronchial cryobiopsy, but not transbronchial biopsies. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. I'm glad you brought it up. There are six different guidelines for cryobiopsies, how to do it. While the transbronchial biopsy is being performed for over 50 years, even before the bronchoscopy, flexible bronchoscopy came into play, Dr. Howard Anderson at the Mayo Clinic used to do transbronchial biopsy through the rigid bronchoscope. And unfortunately, there is no guidelines on how to do a transbronchial biopsy. Simple things done well can provide you the same information as advanced, more complicated and expensive procedures. That is the point I would like to make. You know, you have to evaluate every case and then decide instead of applying all these procedures indiscriminately to all the patients. You're talking about uh, indiscriminate procedures. Uh, Let me ask you about something that is a little more sexy right now, uh, but also controversial. Uh, Do you think we will reach a point when um, bronchoscopic ablation is a viable alternative to SPRT? And if yes, when? Yeah, well, you know, I think to be honest with you, um the first time anybody talked about endobronchial ablation of the bronchogenic carcinoma, that was in 2016 at the World Congress in Florence. Uh, that was seven years ago. Um, and I gave the first talk on this thing in Florence. To be honest with you, um, It has been seven years since we talked about it. And um, yes, uh, there are some, you know, there is some article, there are some um, pilot projects going on showing some good results, but I have significant, um, you know, reservations about something so invasive. Um, And that reminds me of um, when I was your age, um, we used to do photodynamic therapy of the you know peripheral lung lesions as well as endobronchial lung lesions. And the same thing happened. Um, I'm waiting for my patient to come back for the follow-up. And uh, 48 hours later, we do the follow-up bronchoscopy for debulking and stuff like that. The patient never showed up. And uh, we were wondering what happened to the patient. And he was found uh, in the hotel room exsanguinating from that particular lesion. So um, with that experience, I have significant reservations about something endobronchially. As you know, even the SBRT we are talking about, at one time we also used to do lots of brachytherapy. 
And um, I think it is published by a gentleman named Tendulkar. Uh, almost 35% of the patients undergoing brachytherapy for the right upper lobe lesion died of exsanguination at the later date. So um, uh, I think, uh, and, you know, even one single death with this such, with such procedures um, could, you know, could completely shut down this type of uh, approach. Uh, I think radiation SBRT is relatively safer than, uh, you know, something what we are talking about of microwave ablation. And again, you know, the problem is this, is that it is not Udit doing these procedures when these procedures enter the community uh, hospitals, you know, uh, the quality control becomes an issue. And as I mentioned to you earlier, very seldom we publish our complications. So I have, uh, you know, I'll keep my eyes and ears open and uh, I would keep my mind open for the, to learn more about this. But um, knowing what I know uh, and what I've experienced over the years, I have great reservations about something like this. You, you say too much technology could be harmful to the brain. I've seen a tweet of this. Uh, yes. It's it's clear that the pace with which technology develops is much quicker than that which which we can do quality research. So you know we get arm twisted into using these new tools and toys before robust evidence of their benefit or cost effectiveness is proven. So do you agree with this, especially in the context of navigational bronchoscopy? I mean, uh, you've I've also seen another tweet of yours saying where there is no data, experts are too many. Absolutely, whether there is no data. Let me tell you about too much technology. You know, um, is one thing is, let's just briefly talk about something like Google, okay? So when I open the Google, you know, Google will provide me data. Google will provide me with information. Google will provide me with knowledge. But Google does not provide you wisdom. Uh, you know, with all this technology, all this advancement in technology, I do not want you to lose the analytical approach to how we do the things. As I always say, and this is also one of my favorite saying, is that be champion for your patients, not for the procedure. Be the champion for your patients. Only thing is as certain as the sun and the moon in the sky is that we all are going to be patient one day. And we always have to remain champion for our procedures and our patients and not for the procedure. That is the, that is what at the end of the day, that is what my main message is. You know that every day I come home and before I go to sleep, I look at my two hands and ask myself a question. What, what did I do today? And the answer is, I helped somebody. Definitely, I didn't cheat anybody. Knowingly, I didn't harm anybody. And I learned something new. And that answers, and those answers make me go to work the next day. So we always need to remain champions for our patients, especially in interventional pulmonology. And that also goes for my other field of lung transplantation you know, that we always have to focus on our patient. IP is a slippery slope. It is not a sport. I have often mentioned it to you. It is not 
a sport because uh, Abhishek did 250, so I have to do 500. That's IP. No, that is not IP. It is not a sport. You know, we have to focus on the patient, and that is what my another message is. As I mentioned to you, I have made lots of mistakes in my career. I have gone through the same peer pressure. I have gone through the same industry pressure over the years. But the realization is that the focus should be the patient and not the procedure. So the approach that you in general seem to have with bronchoscopy is an experience-based one, but one in which you largely advise caution. And as you say, IP is not a sport. So is there a concerning trend that you see nowadays in our field that prompts you to say this? Oh, this is what I have been, you know, uh, when I read the articles and the opening statement is, we have done 250 such procedures and we have the largest experience in the country. I, I stop reading that article right there and there. You know, the number has nothing to do unless it is required statistically, but it is not that you have done the largest number of cases in the world or in the country or in your town or in your street. You know, so that's, uh, yes, there is tremendous degree of competition. And, you know, that is, that is where the conflict of interest, you can feel it, that there is be, behind all these things is there is some sort of interest uh, involved and therefore people do more and more procedures and you have to be very, very careful about it. And once again, coming back to that, the, we should not lose our focus from the patient when this thing happens. For an example, you know, going after every possible nodule in the uh, in the lung with whatever technique you are using, going after every lymph node in the uh, in the mediastinum with whatever technique you are using without strong data, you know, uh, and then claiming that we have done X number of nodule biopsies and this and that. So that is that that is where I would like to use the caution. If you do this thing, you have to do it in a form of a research protocol and see how many times or when you need to go after three nodules in, in one patient. That is, that is what it is extremely important. You cannot just go and keep on doing it because you have some fancy tools that you go after all these things. So that is, that is what my concern is, uh, that we are trying to establish a new science in a different way with a different intent. And that's, that is where my concerns are. I, I hope I'm making myself clear. Absolutely, Dr. Mehta. Thank you again for all your wisdom. You know, are there any other bronchoscopy pits uh, that you would like to discuss or end this podcast with? Uh, one other thing which I would like to mention is indeed that reducing healthcare cost is a civic responsibility. You know, I know we have so many tools at our disposal and, uh, you know, we should always think that is there a cheaper way of making the diagnosis or doing what I'm doing rather than selecting the most expensive way to go after certain lesions or certain diagnostic uh, procedures. So that's that is what um, uh, I would like to point out. Another thing is this, is that please make sure that you train your fellows to pay, you know, be 
a pulmonologist before you become a bronchoscopist and be a bronchoscopist before you become an interventional pulmonologist. I've seen many fellows entering the Bronx suite without looking at the CAT scan, without examining the patient, without looking at the chest X-ray. And they say, oh, whatever I will see with the EBUS, I will biopsy that. And I think that is a wrong way to do it. That's the reason my one of my another favorite quotes is EBUS tBNA is like a box of chocolates. Uh, you never know what you're going to find. And the whole point is that, you know, if, um, uh, you want to review the entire case and narrow down your differential diagnosis before you go and do all these fancy techniques. Same thing with the pulmonary nodules. You know, you don't need to biopsy every nodule. An analytical approach would tell you whether there is a need to biopsy two nodules or even biopsy a single nodule in a particular patient. And as I say, because it could be done, that does not mean it should be done. You know, and that is that is what my main message is to all my uh, IP colleagues in that particular fashion. I think that's a fantastic note to end this uh, on, Dr. Mehta. Thank you so much again for your time and all Anytime. your wisdom. Anytime. Thank you so much.